Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's give it up again for our dads in the building. Uh, The first service, I had an incredibly elite dad joke, and I don't have time, so you all are going to have to miss out on it. You guys want the joke? That was probably my kids that yelled no. (laughs) Okay, you want the joke? Okay, it's going to bleed into our time, but you asked for it. Okay, I have it. Okay. Are y'all ready? Do you see any labels on this can? No, no, no. So I, I already know that this can is from Africa. You know why? Because I got it for free. It's a free can. Get it? Get it? A free, can, a free can sounds like African, and Africa is a continent, and if you're from there, you're African. Let's pray. Let's look to the Lord. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we thank you for just the gifting you've given me to tell jokes. Um, No, Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We ask you, Heavenly Father, for a fresh touch, and we do pray for a blessing over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would somebody mind getting me some napkins? Last time, I lost about 12 pounds up here just from the sweat. I don't know what's happening with the AC. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. Listen, um, we're going to be in 1 Peter again. Thank you, friend. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Peter again and we're dealing with the issue of hope. And, and what we've said is, when you are hopeful, you, you really believe there's a way out of the current situation you're in. You see God moving, or you're expecting God to move. But there are some of us that are hopeless. We are confused, and we're not sure what God is going to do in our lives. A lot of us in this room are hopeless, and some of us are hope full. The the good thing that we've learned through this series is that hope is not an emotion, nor is it a feeling. Hope is a way of thinking. If it is a way of thinking, that means you can learn how to hope. Just like you teach a child two plus two equals four, you can learn the principles of becoming more of a hopeful person, no matter the circumstance that you're in. We have to remember the context of the book we're looking in, in 1 Peter. If you do remember, in this community, there is a fire of Rome that broke out, and that fire burnt down their homes. And burning down their homes, can you imagine your, your home burning down, but after the fires burnt down, the Christians were accused of burning down Rome. After the accusations, they were then tortured, lit on fire, given to the dogs. And so because of the fires, because of the accusations, and because of the torture of their brothers and sisters in Christ, don't you think they had their moments where they were just living in a state of shock? Don't you think they had their moments where they were saying, why me, how, how did we get ourselves in this predicament? Peter is wanting to teach them how to hope in, in hard times. You may be under the presumption that if you live a good life, you might not have hard trials. 
And Peter is teaching them, though you've been loving the Lord, though you didn't burn down the Rome, though you've done nothing, God is using your trial for his glory and your good. And it is because of that, it's because of that perspective that these people were learning how to hope. So that perspective is essential. You must know God is using whatever you're in right now. But the perspective must be also matched with the right people. Who you share your suffering with is just as important as how you think about your suffering. And in this context, um, Peter is going to challenge a group in the community called the elders. The elders were the spiritual leaders of the church. I just want to break down what an elder is because an elder is an office in the church. Uh, the New Testament assembly is broken down by two offices, elders and deacons. He speaks to the elders because he presumes that when you're in a trial, you need a certain type of person helping you move through trials. Elder, bishop, overseer, and pastor are used synonymously in the scriptures. Elder speaks to the maturity of the office. Bishop and overseer speak to the responsibility of the office. And pastor speaks to the function of the office or the gifting of the office. You see, a pastor, the word pastor, comes from the idea of a pasture where sheep would go out and they would eat. And sheep are a very unique bunch because horses don't need people, but sheep need people. Sheep need a shepherd. And if sheep don't have shepherds, they will wander off and die. They will not be able to eat, not be able to drink, walk off of cliffs. Sheep need shepherds. And the idea, the imagery of a pastor is someone to shepherd your soul. One of the things that's important is that you see yourself spiritually as sheep, that you have the potential to wander off. You have the potential to eat the wrong things, to consume things that are not good for you. And you need help and guidance for your soul. And so here he says that the gift, the function is of the pastor. And so here we must realize that the office of elder is something that God has called me to as a pastor, as an overseer. But elder, the term speaks to the mature. We need elders in a community. We have several in the office. But we need mature believers to help those who are suffering in a trial as well. If the mature, if the mature believers don't support those who are going through, they will suffer alone. And so here in this text, I want to deal with it in two ways. I want to deal with the clarity of what a healthy elder is. I would love to believe that you all are be at Bridge Church till Bridge Church closes one day. I, I want to believe you're lifers, but you all are not lifers. One day you may go to another church, and I think it's important you know what a good, healthy pastor looks like, because pastoring and preaching are two different things. I also think it's important that you understand that you don't have to be a pastor to pastor people. That as a mature believer, you can pastor people, minister to people, 
And so today I want to look at this text twofold. First, I want us to give perspective, gain some perspective from what Peter has said. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about the purpose of trials and he gives us imagery of what happens on the other side of a trial. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and then we're going to look at chapter 5. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6, verse 6, you have been grieved by various trials. Remember, he's talking to people who have been in a fire, they've been accused, they've been tortured. But in addition to that, he's saying there's a variety of trials you've been a part of. But he says, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though perishes and tested by fire, may be found to result. So you see in the middle there, he says that's the purpose of the trial, so that you'd be tested. But he guess says in the end, that you may be found result in praise, and glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. What is grieving? Grieving is as you go through the process of loss. Grieving is not just dealing with death. Grieving is dealing with loss. So if you're going through and you're seeing disappointment, if you're not seeing life work the way you thought, you are grieving. And he says there's all types of trials that we will go through. But he says the purpose of those trials is testing. And then what is the end game? The result is praise, glory, and honor. Therefore, the mature believer grieves trials. But secondarily, they understand the purpose of trials. And thirdly, they end up in praising God after the trial. It is in praise, glory, and honor that you see the mature believer walking through trial at, on the other side of trials. Saints, you, if you want to find friends in New York City, complain. <laughs> my Lord and my God, I'm telling you, there are so many things to complain about in this city. Whether it's, I mean, just it's hot, it's, it's hot. Well, it's June, praise God, it's June. So I don't know what to tell you, right? It, it, or it's cold, or the rent or the subway, or whatever. There's always something to complain about. And you can even find believers to help you feel better in your misery. In other words, there's a lot of people who are going through pain, but there's very few that have learned how to praise. That the other side of trials is praise. And the mature believer, though they are in pain, they anticipate praise. They anticipate what God is going to do. So they're trusting God through their pain. He says it results in praise, glory, and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. The mature don't just go through trials, they grow through trials. And you see them look back over their life and they say, five years ago, I remember where I was, I remember what those people were doing, and when they talk about it, they say, but God. It's very important how you frame the trial. You say, but God. Oh, they did this, but God did that. Oh, they said this, but this is what God's promise was. Oh, I remember they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. How you frame the story so the mature do that. And it's very important that we understand that because experience and maturity aren't the same things. No, no, knowledge and maturity aren't the same things. 
And titles and maturity aren't the same things. You can have more degrees than a thermometer, praise God. That does not mean you're mature. You can have gone through all the different mission trips in the world, and you can have all the insights from the Bible. You can be profound when you talk about the text. That does not mean you're mature. The mature are more loving than they were yesterday. They glorify God more than they did yesterday. And they praise God, even though they've been through great pain. They talk about the praise more than the pain. That's the mature. And we all wanna get there. We all wanna grow. It's important who you share your suffering with. It's important who you, who you, who you allow to steward your trial with you. So. Understand that elder, it means an office, but it's also speaking to a level of maturity. Look there in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. He says, so, towards the end of the book, I exhort the elders. Now remember the context, he's been talking about trials, trials throughout all, all the book. But he says, so I exhort the elders among you. So he's talking about the specific group of people as a fellow elder. So understand, Peter is not actually an elder in a specific church. So he's talking about an elder from a sense of maturity. But here, he's talking to elders who are the elder statesmen, the mature in a community. And he says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I want you to see two sides of how Peter understands what it means to be an elder, the mature. He says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but he's also a partaker in the glory that's gonna be revealed. Scholars are divided on what it means when he says witness. Some would presume that when he says a witness of the sufferings of Christ, it presumes that he's talking about witnessing it like watching, as if I watch Jesus suffer. But the word there, witness, is the same word that we see in Acts chapter one, to be a witness. It's the same word we would use to be a martyr. In many ways, I believe, and some other scholars, the right ones, praise God, believe, that suffering here in this text, the witness he's talking about is saying, I have suffered just like Jesus suffered. No, 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 not in the particular ways, but in the overall way Jesus has suffered, I'm a witness to being on the Calvary Road and suffering as Christ suffered. And then he says, but I'm also a partaker in the glory. I've also experienced the glory of God. You have to understand that the story of Jesus is suffering and glory. Jesus, for most of his life, was just the son of a carpenter, so much so that when he became renowned, they first started just calling him Joseph's son. They didn't know his name. But the miraculous thing about him was he would perform miracles not only signs and wonders, but he would also preach. He preached the kingdom of God. As he preached the kingdom of God, his popularity grew. As his popularity grew, the religious of the day 
began to accuse him of blasphemy because he called himself the son of God. They would get the Roman officials involved in a conspiracy to take this innocent man down. Eventually, they would conspire and create a court system done at night, no one around, and accuse him of blasphemy, and he'd be found guilty. This innocent man, this miracle worker, this teacher, this one who had done nothing wrong. And then they would torture him by whipping him, bruising his body. And they decided that for all the good he had done, for all the teaching he had given, for all the, all the times that he had healed paralytics, all the time he had raised people from the dead, you know what he deserved? Death. The ultimate punishment, death on a cross. They nailed his body into wood and raised it up in a cross-like form. And he would be tortured there for hours and hours and hours. And eventually he would die of asphyxiation. Blood would be all up in his lungs. And eventually he dies. And this same Jesus is then placed in a grave. And the story of Jesus, for as long as people could understand it, that were there at the site at the time, their presumption was the story is over. He was a great teacher, a great miracle worker, but he died. And what Peter is saying is, I know what it's like to do things for the glory of God, yet suffer greatly. I know what it's like to have my reputation maligned. I know what it's like to be on that Calvary road. I identify with the sufferings of Christ. But he says the other side of the story because the story does not end there. Jesus was placed in that grave for three days. And then they would find that the stone in front of the grave was rolled away. They could not find him, but eventually he was seen teaching, walking around with a resurrected body. His, bodies, his body had a scar on it, scars from the nails, but he wasn't walking around with the pain. A resurrected body. He was for 40 days teaching. And then eventually the book of Acts tells us that he would ascend on high, sit at the right hand of the Father and minister for our behalf every day. And now the angels rejoice him. And now the sufferings that he had on earth, the Bible says because of that, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, what Peter says is, I'm not only one who identifies with the sufferings of Christ, but I've been a partaker of the glory of Christ. That's the other side of suffering. That means I've tried to do my best to love God, and there have been times I've suffered for it, but I've seen the other side of obedience. I've seen the other side of praying for people when they're hating on you. I've seen the other side of caring for people when they didn't care for you. I've seen the other side of intercession and, and sitting up all night long praying and wanting God to move. I've experienced the glory of God. I've praised him because of that other side. You see here, Peter says, I know both sides. And far too often we convene around the sufferings we have. But we gotta tell the other side of the story. 
Because the other side of the story is the glory of God. You will lose your energy in your fight to love God and be obedient if you don't have somebody in the room saying, it's gonna be all right. God is good. And I know, I know, you're, I know you're in pain right now and I, I, don't, I, I can't identify exactly what you're going through, but I know what pain is like and I know the other side of pain and it's praise. And he says, I know suffering, but I'm also a partaker of the glory of God. Sometimes it's easier to talk about pain. Sometimes you don't want to be the person in the room to be like, I'm, I'm, I get it, but you know, God's in control. No, 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 not to be the person that just, you know, like just say I'm blessed and like kind of like shut down pain. Like we need to talk about our pain. But I think in the body of Christ, we just don't talk about what God is going to do and what he has done for you. And if, if we don't have that, then you'll allow people to live in disappointment. You'll allow them to live as if there's not another side to the story. As if, if God can resurrect a man from the dead, then he can change any situation. That means nothing is hopeless. And we need to walk around stewards of the hope of God, knowing misery doesn't always need company. We don't always have to wallow in pain. I know it's simpler, I know it's easier, but at some point we gotta get on our knees and before we ask, we need to just shout and praise for what God is going to do. Because someone in this room has experienced the goodness of God. I don't know all your stories, but someone's seen the other side. Someone has went through, been in pain, and seen what God did. And if you don't tell your story, you are robbing us of God's glory. We need the mature to step up. We need them to show out because elders can't be the only one eldering, praise God. Shepherds can't be the only one shepherding. There's gotta be other people who say, I've seen the goodness and mercy of God. And I wanna tell you, this is bad, but God is good. This is how we make it through as a community. We become disillusioned because what we believe is that God's will is comfortable. Amen? It is not. Now, the safest place to be is the will of God. But though the safest place to be is the will of God, God's will ain't always safe. If you walk with God, you will find his comfort. That does not mean you will be comfortable. In fact, as you grow, you will get increasingly less comfortable. But as you experience more of his comfort, it is by this then, those who know God can't just say, I've seen God be good because my rent got paid. I've seen God be good because I got a new job. I've seen God be good because I finally found that relationship. I've seen God be good because I've been elevated and got promoted. I know people that know God is good and they haven't had a promotion in years. I know people who know God is good and they have not found that relationship. I know people who know God is good and they've not seen elevation or anything in their life, but they're experiencing the goodness of God in the misery of life. We cannot define blessing as material things. We cannot define blessing as getting a promotion. 
We cannot define blessing as just having a relationship or having a child or having more money because I know a God that knows how to bless you when you have nothing. When you have nothing. And you will make people think the only goodness of God is when you get material things. If you only praise God for material things. I serve a spiritual God. The spiritual blessings of God are much greater than material ones. Because that new car will fade, but the peace will never fade. The joy will never fade. It will be there for now and forevermore. So we must tell our story, and this is what he's saying to elders. Now, specifically here, uh, the apostle Peter is speaking directly to the office of elder. In verse two, the office of eldering, which is my job, praise the Lord. So if you ever want to look at my job description, here you go. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. I just want to acknowledge here, none of this has to do with gifting. This does not have to do with preaching. This is just about being mature. So though this is speaking to an office, no, none of us are exempt from these qualities, amen? Uh, except the shepherding part, which is definitely what I have to do. Shepherd the flock of God. This is for the mature, but definitely for my office. Shepherd the flock of God. Look at this last part though. Shepherd the flock of God. Not domineering over those in your charge. Okay, so look at the first part. Let's do some Bible observation. Whose flock is it? Shepherd the flock of? Whose flock? Is James' flock? Hold on now. <laughs> it's my church. Whose church? Whose flock is it? It's God's flock. That means every pastor must know they're stewarding somebody else's people. Y'all not my people? You God's kids. But look at the last part. Over those in your what? Who's in charge? The pastor. People didn't want to say it. You. God. God. That feels safer to say. The answer is always Jesus. <laughs> now, look, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says in your charge, meaning you have a leadership responsibility over people that are not yours. You see the tension there? That means it's a stewardship. Watch this. Look in uh, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews says, uh, Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. Well, that's the part where you're in charge. They should want to follow you. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Remember an overseer. As those who will have to give an account. Understand that pastors have a divine responsibility and a divine accountability to God. Pastors are accountable to what they preach, teach, and how they live to God, not to you. You should hold a pastor accountable to the word, but ultimately he's held accountable to the Lord. And he should live like that. Because this is what I tell people every membership class. As someone accountable for your soul, I must steward you and understand what's happening inside of you. 
oh, I mean, some of your Instagrams are great. Your lives are amazing. But I want to know what's going on inside of you. And I'm responsible for what's going on inside of you. Divine stewardship means that there may be times where I have to tell you things that are uncomfortable. And in, in being uncomfortable, it's not to be in charge. It's to be a good steward. So I say this every membership. I, we, I love dapping y'all up. I love hugging y'all. We are not friends, though. I am, some of y'all call me OG. I'm not your OG. I'm not your uncle. I'm not your big bro. I'm your pastor. That's very important because sometimes people think I'm their mentor. No, I'm not your mentor. I'm your pastor. I'm not here to give you advice. I'm here to tell you the commands of God. And so I may tell you things that don't work well for your job, but they work well for your soul. I'm concerned about your soul more than anything else and your walk with God. Obedience is always my aim. So if you're looking for a pastor, don't look for a pastor that always tells you things you already want to hear. Because if you want a pastor that just tells you things you want to hear, maybe you're looking for you <laughs> and not God. So the heartbeat here is stewardship. Now, he moves, therefore, into attributes of a shepherd. If you see where he says, not under compulsion, but willingly, not under shameful gain, not domineering. Look where he says, not under compulsion, rather willingly. Compulsion means under pressure. So there are people who pastor because someone told them they should pastor. There are people who are like, you'd be a good pastor. Everybody told them to pastor except God. And the problem is there are, when you do this under compulsion, you may have limits. Like, well, I just, I just don't know if I want to get into all the details of their life. I don't know how I want to deal with all that. Or you want a great position. It's like, well, I'll minister if I can get a good position. And when he says willingly, there's a sense in which a pastor should be pastoring before they become a pastor. They should be ministering to people before they get the title. If you need a title to care and minister to people, you probably aren't ever going to be a good pastor. Because ministering to people should be part of your soul. Something you just, you do it because you're called to, but because you love to do it. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20 and 9 says, If I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in. I cannot. He says, I got to talk about the Lord. Uh, Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. No, you don't need a position. The pastor is willing to minister because it's a desire in his heart. Not just helpful for his status. I love Bridge Church. I do. We started it. We moved here 10 years ago. And I remember during the pandemic, it was hard, buddy. It was hard. I didn't know. I didn't know if it was Bridge. I, I didn't know if Bridge Church was coming to a close. Because it's hard to know if people are going to come back. That had, but Bridge Church in no way defines my ministry. If Bridge Church closed tomorrow, 
I could work for the Brooklyn Bridge and I'd be on there with a flashlight and a wrench and I'd still be talking about the glory of God. This job does not define my ministry. It's just an opportunity to minister, but it does not define my ministry. In other words, pastoring people should be seen not just on stage, but off the stage. A healthy pastor, a good pastor, one meeting these qualifications is willing to pastor without the platform, without the microphone. Here, he not only says, not under compulsion, but he says, not for shameful gain. Now, I want to point out, he doesn't say gain. He says shameful gain. You should want your pastor to eat, praise God. <laughs> you should want them to have some kind of income. But there's a difference between gain and shameful gain. And shameful gain, what he's speaking to is the, the person who goes into the position as an opportunist because they want to be financially or socially elevated. Did you, did you, I, I know this is going to be a surprise to some of you, but did you know that there are pastors that just pastor for money? Did you know that? I know you're surprised. <clears throat> Jesus said in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, this is what the good shepherd does, lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hired hand, that's the hireling, and not a shepherd, he, look, he doesn't own the shepherd. Here's how you know he's a good shepherd, he, or not a good shepherd. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and look, never cared for the sheep in the first place. You see, and I know pastors who love crowds, but they hate people. People are tough. My, my, my. Pastoring is tough, boy. I tell you, people think it's this. Is this? I do this for a few hours. I'm telling you, when it talks about a wolf, it's talking about false teachers, but it's talking about how disobedience can come into a camp and snatch it up. Do not think you're exempt. Do not think you're exempt from being snatched up. And so it's my job to fight off wolves. The imagery here is this. Shepherds are not trained to fight wolves. They, they, they're trained to shepherd sheep. So there's a, good job that, there's a good opportunity to see wolves and they get scared. And a lot of pastoring is ministering while you're afraid. Man, I don't know what you're going to think of me. I don't know what they'll say about me. What, what, what will be said? What will be thought of? Will you run away or will you fight wolves? That's how you can tell a hired hand from a shepherd. The shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I pray that wherever you would end up at a church if you weren't here, you would know that your pastor sacrifices for you greatly that he loves deeply and he's willing to minister even out of pain. Lastly, he says, not domineering, but an example. Do you know what domineering is? Y'all ever work with domineering people, praise the Lord? You know what those people are like? They use threats, intimidation, and power to get things done. To be an influence amongst a community, you can use intimidation because it works. 
You can use threats. And pastors, in the same way, can use threats and intimidation to domineer people. But there's another way to influence people, and it is just to live a life so godly that people want to imitate it. You can live a life worthy of imitation, so you can either, as a leader, you can use intimidation, or you can live a life worthy of imitation. And here, when he speaks of a life as an example, as one who wants to, imit to be imitated, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The other version is follow me as I follow Christ. And to be honest with you, though he's speaking of the elder here, the office, this is something we should all aspire to. We should all aspire to a life that is worthy of imitation. We are all copiers. As much as you are a leader, you are a follower. You are following trends. You are following what's in. You're making sure you don't do what's out. We're all followers. And God leaves us with this amazing deposit of the Holy Spirit so that we all could follow Jesus, but also have people follow us as we follow Jesus. That's what Paul's essentially saying. Follow me, but I'm following Christ. And when a whole community does that, when we decide we're gonna follow Christ, but you can follow me as I follow Christ, we shepherd one another. We desire to be great examples. Y'all remember um, uh, Insanity, that workout, like 10 years ago? Y'all remember Shanti? Y'all remember Shanti? Shanti. I had to really work hard to find a picture of Shanti with a shirt on, praise God. I had to go, I had to go to like page six. Shanti without the abs, praise the Lord. But, um, so about 10 years ago, we were doing Insanity, and uh, this is, we were living in Atlanta, and this was in our apartment, and uh, we would do Insanity in the mornings, and as the name assumes, it was insane, right? It was just all the, nothing but cardio, constantly push-ups, and mountain climbers, and doing all this stuff, and so we'd have all these people in there. We had about 10 people we would do it with, and it was just, the, the windows would get foggy, and it was just a mess. And you'd always get to the end. This is like 40 minutes. I mean, it was just it's so intense. So you get to like the, the end, right? It's been 40 minutes. And Sean T would do this thing where he'd be like, ha, ha, ha at the end. If y'all seen it, y'all seen it. He's like, ha, ha. Okay, for those that saw it. So then you get to the end, right? Now, by the end, I'm telling you, my wife would be like, ah, ha, ha. She'd be holding her leg up. I'm like, ha. You know, I just can't even, I wiggle my whole leg a little bit. I'm telling you, so by minute 37, I am done. And I'm just looking at my wife, just go, just go. And I thought about it. Can you imagine if it was just me and Sean T in the room? If it was me and Sean T after 10 minutes, I'd be like looking at Sean like, you know what's up, I can't do this no more. The only reason I even made it to minute 37 was because I was with people in the room. 
and they were horrible examples. <laughs> they don't look nothing like Shanti. Shanti's like, ha, ha. My wife was like, ah, ah. But she was doing so much more than I was doing because I was like, ah, ah. And that's all I could give. But when I was in the room with them, I knew it wasn't about them. We were all trying to be like Shanti. And none of us look like Shanti. But we're trying to get like Shanti. And you do, you a lot more like Shanti than me. So I feel motivated by your Shantiness. And the truth is, you need people who are examples, even when you're tired, who are pushing through and who are trying to get to the end of the story, the other side of the story. And they're breathing hard. Like I'm trying to love these people on my job, but it's hard. They're trying to kill me and they're trying to make it through. And then, but, but they got a little bit more than you. And you have a little bit more than them. This is what I'm trying to tell you. You can't always just wait on the office of elder to give you insight. Some of us will never share unless we're sharing with an expert, right? I need to talk to the pastor. Where's when I, well, I will wait forever until I talk to them. And I'm telling you, I'm booked up. I really am. And I, and I want to meet with you in a few months. But the way that God has constructed the community is not only for the oversight of the elders, but also for the insight of the mature that we would shepherd one another, that we would steward one another and grow together. And if you are mature, if you've been growing, and I know, well, I'm just, this little light of mine, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to make it through. I know, I know, but have you been growing? Have you been growing? Because if you've been growing, if you've seen God move, tell people. If he's kept you, tell people. If he's ministered to you, tell people, share, and allow us to feed off of your maturity. And as the elders, we will steward this community to the best of our ability. But this is not just for the office of elder, this is also for the mature to help us grow. I wonder if you'd stand with me. You know, today, as we're here, some of you, as I was speaking, you, you thought about how, you thought about where you're at with Christ. And as I was ministering, I talked about the mature. Some of you were like, well, am I mature? I'm not, I don't know. And you're trying to figure out where you're at on this spectrum of growth. But there are some of you that may feel like, man, I just really am not even in a position where I feel like Christ is really leading my life. And that's who I wanna to talk to right now. Just as Peter was speaking to a specific person in the room, I wanna to talk to a specific person in the room right now where you would say, I do not believe that Jesus is the, I don't care if you call him Lord, I don't care if you call yourself a Christian, I don't care how long you've been in church, is Jesus the leader of your life? Is he Lord? And I want you today to come forward and make a decision to make Jesus the leader of your life because you believe he died on a cross for your sin. 
and you want to begin to follow him with all of your life. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come to the front and to make a decision to have Jesus be the leader of your life. Is there anyone here that wants to make that decision to make Jesus the leader of their life? Is there one you want to, today, you want him to be the leader of your life? Come forward. Praise God. Praise God. Stay right there. Stay right there. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Who else? Who else? Come forward. Praise God. 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 You want him to be the leader. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about the leadership of your life. I want him to take control over my life. I believe in the Lord Jesus. I know church. I've read the Bible. Those are all, those are all great steps. But who are you following? Are you following Jesus? Is there anyone else that they want to become a follower of Christ today? Not just an attender of church, not just a member of a church, a follower of Christ, leadership over your life. Is there another? Is there another in the balcony down here? Don't wait. We'll minister to you and walk with you through this time. Come today, don't wait. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, 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 amen. I've known you so long. I know what God has been doing with you and doing with you. I know your story. This is your day. This is your day. God is celebrating. God is celebrating. He's celebrating today. Amen, amen. Amen. I've known you for 10 years, just, just watching your life. And today is the day that God made a move. So some of you, some of you, today is your day. You might've been around the church, but today is your day. Is there another? Is there anyone else? You want to make a decision to follow Christ today. Anyone else? Anyone else? But would you give God glory and praise for those right here? Give him honor. Give him glory. Give him honor. Give him glory. Amen. I'm going to pray for you all. And as I pray for you all, our pastor will take you uh, around the corner and we will begin to talk about next steps. Now understand, the minute you make a decision for Christ, all types of obstacles come, but don't let that keep you back from the fight to come back. Come back to church, come back into community, and we're gonna walk with you. I'm gonna pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for these souls, and we ask you, God, continue to minister to them, continue to bless them, continue to encourage them, God. We need your spirit to move. We need your guidance to move. So God, give these folks a blessing. Lord, would you just cover them? Would you cover this decision Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Cover this decision next Sunday when they feel fear about coming back. Help them come back, God. 
and move on their life. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Give God glory. Go right here with Pastor Josh. Right here, Pastor Josh. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.